0: Welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But as you know, each week I do like to interview a different grad student. And so today I'd like to introduce you to Erin Gallagher-Cahoon, who is doing a PhD in history under the supervision of Dr. Karen Dubinsky. Welcome to Grad Chat, Erin. Thanks for having me. Now, your research topic is Canadian history of gay and lesbian queer parenting. Yeah. That's not a, a topic that a lot of people would think about doing in history. No, no. it's not. It's so, not. No. So, So can you just give us a bit of overview then of what you're trying to do in that historical perspective? Sure. So
1: I'm looking at... Several different areas, historically. One of the important things that comes out in this research is the ways that laws constrain families. Okay. So if you look, for example, in the 1970s, there were custody cases where a question that, that arose was whether a parent who had same, a same-sex relationship should keep custody of their children or not. Okay. And so there are certain laws historically that have constrained whether or not a family could stay together, whether children were taken away from certain types of families. And so, in part, what looking at this historically does is it allows us to analyze the longer time frame right. and the ways in which changes, whether that's legal changes, political changes, uh, changes in social norms have also changed the ability for families to be openly a family.
0: So it's interesting, though, because I mean, I know you're doing historical perspective, but you could have probably gone into other fields as well as being as your major, so to speak, as opposed to just going through the his, history side of things, because there's there's a lot of social sociology sort of things in, involved in this, too. For sure.
1: Yeah. And there have been quite a few studies that have been done within Psychology within sociology since the 1970s. Really, this has right. been a topic that has that certain disciplines have taken an interest in. History has not taken an interest in this yet. The historical field. This is not an area within Canadian Canadian historical field that people have really started to to look at this. Right. So, in in psychology and sociology, one of the big questions that those fields ask about queer parenting or gay and lesbian parenting is whether or not this harms the children.
0: Right, right.
1: And that's been a question that has come up over and over again since the 1970s. The consensus is unsurprisingly that it doesn't, and that in fact there may be some benefits to being raised in a non-heteronormative family. There are some studies that show that this encourages children to be more open-minded. It encourages children to not necessarily be constrained by gender roles. So there are some benefits that that some uh, studies have shown that these families actually actually gain. And a lot of the the fears about what would happen to children who are raised in non-heteronormative families, in reality, they they just don't. The studies show that that's just not.
0: The case. So you talk about these studies. Is it um, data collected from, like you know, um, one-on-one consultations with children of gay parents, or is it some other way that they've collected this data? When because when you talk about research, I mean, research can come in a mm. number of different ways. And I know one of the areas looking at is, as you mentioned, that both the psychology and sociology and queer parenting, and why that was important to look at it historically. So, what kind of data they've been looking at? They—it well, depends on the study a little bit, right. but
1: they often it is with interviews with the children and with the with the parents as well. Okay. They often compare. A lot of these studies are about lesbian mothers. Okay. There are fewer studies on gay fathers Okay. so they often compare lesbian mothers to uh, single mothers for example or divorce situations okay yep and they look at things once again it really depends on the study but they they look at things like the outcomes of the children so educate educational attainment for example okay. mental health as well whether really the the question as i said they're, they're asking is are the kids okay
0: right yes and And like you said, with the education side, are they being ridiculed or whatever you want it or bullied at school and stuff like that?
1: That is a concern. Yeah,
0: right. For sure. Right. So what brought you to this topic though? I mean, because it's one of those sort of out of the blue, I mean, maybe it's not out of the blue because I mean, history, there's so many things you can put in, in charge of history. So, but what made you think about this topic?
1: I I'm actually the daughter of gay fathers. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So there's a personal connection here for sure. Right. In the 90s, my my parents, my mom and my dad got divorced and my okay. dad since then ha- has been with a man. Right. So I was raised in two households, one with a feminist mother and the other one with gay fathers. Right. And I grew up in rural Alberta as well. During a time period where gay marriage was not legal, for example, there was a lot of homophobia within my culture, within my surroundings. I went to school and I was very open about my family, and so I I do have that personal experience as well of sometimes kids, if they've been raised in very conservative households, kids are not necessarily gentle about Mm -hmm. non-traditional families. And when I was growing up, there... At the time, at least, it didn't feel like there was anyone I could really turn to, any histories, any stories that really represented families like mine that I felt represented my experience. And so when I started doing graduate school, when I started in history, it became very clear that this was a topic that was not being, not being researched within history, and right, yeah. I felt that personally, like it was a very important topic and would have been really meaningful to me as a child to have known that I had a place within history.
0: Right. So that actually brings up a few questions, actually, in my mind. And hopefully I won't forget the second Mm -hmm. one. But the first one is, why this period? Because as a a non-Canadian, I've always thought uh, Canadians have been very um, forward thinking in terms of gay marriage and all that sort of thing but why this period 1970 to 2005 was there a big change in things going on at that time or was it you had to pick a period of time (laughs) and there was maybe two two areas one that was absolutely nothing and then now how things are working these days there's a couple comparison.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of reasons why I'm focusing on the nineteen seventies to two thousand and five. One is that it it makes sense. The the nineteen seventies is when you start to see, as I said, custody cases. Okay. So you have legal records starting in the nineteen seventies where judges are debating the value or not of lesbian-handed and gay father okay. households. Mm-hmm. And then 2005, I'm planning on ending my study in 2005 because you have the federal debates about gay marriage in 2005. As you might probably know, Canada was the fourth country in the world to legalize same-sex marriage, and that was in 2005 that they did that. Those parliamentary debates are really a, a very surprisingly fruitful source for information on how people were thinking about children. Even though the, the, the debate was about um, couples being able to marry, yeah. there's a symbolic child that gets um, brought up again and again in these debates. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's really quite interesting the way politicians argue on both sides of the debate. On one side, the argument, to sort of simplify it a little bit, goes that we should allow same-sex marriage because these families need stability, these children deserve to be raised within families where the couple is married.
0: It's a legal family, so to speak. Yeah.
1: On yeah. paper. Yeah. So that's the argument for why, or part of the argument for why same-sex marriage should be allowed. Right. On the other side, people who are arguing against same-sex marriage are bringing up this this idea It's a misconception of history, but this idea of the traditional family as ahistorical, as something that has always existed, and it's always existed in the same way. And part of that idea of the family is that it's always been a heterosexual couple, and they've always had kids. So there's there's a real emphasis on procreation, on the straight couple being able to procreate and the gay couple being childless, infertile. And the history of same-sex parenting disproves that. It shows that same-sex couples have been, couples and individuals, have been raising children.
0: Children. So you bring up a good point there too, I mean, because you've been brought up with, you know, you had a mum and dad to start, so mm-hmm. to speak. I mean, you still got a mum and dad. But, <laughs> but then your, your parents split and then, then you were raised on one side with your mum and the other side with your two dads and things. That brings another level to it, right? Because mm-hmm. you were conceived through a heterosexual. But there's a lot of people these days, um, gay couples who are having children themselves mm-hmm. without the other gender part mm-hmm. of it, if you know what I mean. So in your the work that you're doing are you finding differences in how you know how children are who've been raised either with a mum and dad to start with and then either two mums or two dads or those that have just had two mums or two dads or is that going too far into it (laughs) that's a really interesting question
1: I think one of the one of the main differences is actually the experience of divorce Okay, Um, okay, that makes sense. So I would argue it's less about the gender of the parents. Right. Because there are also households where a child is conceived within a same sex household and then that household gets divorced as well. Right. And I think that experience of divorce has a huge effect on children's experience of of, um, growing up. And that is something that, that I will definitely have to consider and and be aware of in my research. The other the other thing that I would add to to this topic is that this this is another thing that history helps us see because there is a a historical shift with the rise of reproductive technology where right. it becomes easier for same-sex couples Correct. to conceive. It's not that right. it didn't happen before, but with the with reproductive technology both being more available but also with, uh, for example, sperm banks at one point right. would not accept lesbian couples. Okay. And so with the with it being more open towards same-sex couples, the access being easier, you are seeing more same-sex couples conceiving within their relationship.
0: So with the data that you've been able to find, or the research you've found so far, I know you mentioned in the beginning it was more um, two women having having the kids kind of thing, but now there are more men now Taking on kids or having kids as part of their family. With the period that you've got here, seventies to two thousand five, are you finding towards the end of towards the end of the two thousand five, there's more data on what's happening with kids with two dads as opposed to two mums? Yeah. So one that was of a the. a long way of saying. I eventually get there. It takes me a while sometimes. I eventually get there. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, one of the things I will
1: add is I don't I don't yet have the statistical information to be able to say that there were necessarily more lesbian moms than gay fathers right. historically. What I will say is that the the sources, emphasize lesbian moms. So okay. a lot of the early sociological reports, for example, they were specifically studying lesbian moms. There's less research on gay fathers. That doesn't mean that the gay fathers didn't exist. Right, yes. Just that researchers weren't paying attention to them. In the custody cases, there there are more custody cases that involve lesbian mothers than gay fathers. Okay. But that probably has more to do with how custody worked in the 1970s than with the fact that gay fathers didn't exist. So in the 1970s, generally speaking, custody would go to the mother over the father, Right. and so the father wouldn't necessarily be brought to court, whereas the mother who has custody, if it came out that she was involved in a same-sex relationship, the ex-husband, would be likely to, to bring on. her to court to try to take custody away. Okay. The gay okay. fathers didn't have custody in the first place, right. usually. So there's less legal sources that, that document their existence. Okay. There's also some in... I have heard that it's possible that the gay fathers were also more likely to negotiate with their ex-wives and to be able to come to some sort of visitation agreement. Right. Then the other way, the lesbian moms were able to come to an agreement with their ex-husbands. When you're dealing with visitation, for example, maybe people were more open to allowing someone who was in a same-sex relationship to have visitation over having custody. I can't say for sure yet why there were more lesbian mothers in the courts, but those are some of the sort of initial findings that I have, is that lesbian mothers were in the courts more so we have those court records records. the sociologists and psychologists were studying them more in part because they were in the courts more okay and so in terms of historical sources in that early period, we really do have a lot more on lesbian mothers okay. than we do on gay fathers. But that's, that's one of the, the interesting things and difficulties about, about history is yes. the silences in the records, the fact that we don't have sources could mean that there are less gay fathers. But not necessarily, necessarily. it just
0: means that that the experts weren't paying attention to them. Right. And so I I guess that also brings up another point. I mean, you said you got brought up in rural Alberta. Have you found so far in that research, is there a difference between rural areas versus urban Mm. areas or one province to another because I'm assuming you're just looking at Canada well you are just looking at Canada so is there a difference between province to province um, and like I said rural versus urban so my research is really urban focused okay
1: and that once again goes to the sources got it it is much easier to find sources in the larger cities that talk about urban experience okay it can be very difficult to find within within queer history in general to find sources on rural lives once again doesn't mean that they don't exist yeah just that the sources are more plentiful for urban areas you also in the 1980s for example you see the rise of parental activism. Um, where okay. same-sex, um, whether lesbian or gay, they were starting to organize to fight for custody rights. Initially, was one of the one of the big issues. Right. And those activist organizations are within the urban centers, so all of those records are very urban se- centered as well. Right. So my research really, unfortunately, does not look at rural experiences in terms of different regional, yeah, different regions. In Canada there there is absolutely differences and a lot of that has to do with the political structure if you're living under a conservative government your experience is going to be very different than if you're living under a government that is much more open to same-sex rights in general it has a huge effect on um, people's acceptance levels right and and what people feel willing and and safe to say so It's not necessarily that Alberta is more homophobic, that Albertans in general are more homophobic than people across Canada are, but I do think there is a difference in terms of what people feel they are allowed to say in public. And when you're living in a more conservative area, people may be more likely to feel comfortable vocalizing their homophobia.
0: Right, okay, that makes sense. Maybe I can go one more step there. Is there a difference between, like, Quebec versus Mm. Ontario or versus uh, the Maritimes or something? Mm -hmm. Is Is there a difference there with, say, Quebec versus the rest of the other provinces?
1: Yeah, for sure. One of one of the big differences is family law is quite different in Quebec ah, okay, that would to make sense. English mm-hmm. Canada. But I will be honest; I haven't yet started the research on Quebec, but that is okay. that is going to be an important part of this: is looking at at the way different regions enact different laws right. as well, and what effect that has on uh, individual families' experiences.
0: And I guess that is that is different difficult in countries that have both a federal. They have yes. federal laws, yeah. but then they also have provincial laws, or about like back home, it's federal and state laws. And I, that does make it very, very difficult for every everyone, doesn't it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, where does everyone sit and, and that sort of thing? So, but you're basically, a lot of the laws you're looking at, it, I guess, is a lot of it is through the provincial, except for the overarching one of the, the, the same-sex marriage.
1: Yeah, a lot of family law is provincial, right? So all right. the custody cases that I'm looking at are provincial custody cases.
0: Okay.
1: Even, even when you come to same-sex marriage, by the time of uh, the federal debates in 2005, most of the provinces in Canada had already legalized same-sex marriage. Oh,
0: okay, so, so federal was the last, so to speak. Not quite, not quite the last, quite, but not quite,
1: yeah. but... But the marriage law is divided between federal and provincial as well. So it gets okay. really messy also in terms of who is
0: actually in charge of which laws. <laughs> uh, no point in making things easy for anyone, is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, so why do you think this history is important not only to queer families but also to the wider society? 'Cause I know you're stopping at two thousand and five and there's lots of things that have been happening since two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. So so why do you think it's important for us to understand that period of time?
1: There are so many different angles that, <laughs> that I could bring up here and to answer this question. One, I, I want to say that, first of all, I'm doing this research because it is important to queer families. Right. And I would do it even if it didn't have a wider application to the wider Canadian public. But I do think that there are some really important questions that it ri- raises, not only for queer families, but also for people who might never experience a queer family. Right. One is that it, it really challenges, it denaturalizes the idea of a particular family formation. Right. That families have to look a certain way and otherwise are unhealthy or are somehow harmful to, to the minor children that, right. that are being raised in those formations. And I think the more diversity we accept in family formations and we support in family formations, the better for everyone. Right. There's also the fact that, generally speaking, when we're looking back historically, we assume that people with same-sex desires, queer individuals, were not parents. Those two identities are often not allowed to coexist simultaneously. Right. And when we're unable to think of being queer and being a parent at the same time, that does have some real on-the-ground effects. Mm -hmm. One that I can bring up, for example, is in refugee claims. This is something that is often not thought of. But when LGBTQ refugees come to Canada, right. unfortunately, part of the process is they have to claim a queer identity and they in some somehow have to prove a queer identity. Okay. And there have been cases where the Immigration and Refugee Board has doubted someone's queer identity because they had children, because they had biological children. So, for example, there's a a 2007 case where the initial refugee claim was rejected because they said that it was highly improbable that a homosexual would father sons.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow.
1: So there you see in in very clear language the outcome the consequence yes. of our inability to think of being queer and being a parent right. at the same time. It was reviewed it was later. Reviewed. That's good. It was reviewed, but the initial but the initial mm. claim was rejected in part because he had he had biological children. Right. And and how could he be gay if he had biological children? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> the The last thing that that I can bring up in terms of the wider applicability of this is actually going back to the the same-sex marriage debates and thinking about the way that, once again marriage was was in, within a conservative worldview, marriage is so bound up within ideas of procreation right. Couples have to procreate. And so in that debate, there there are conservative politicians who basically saying, that if a couple cannot procreate, they don't uh, deserve access to the same rights as, as other couples. Right. And that, I think, is not only dangerous for queer couples, but yeah. dangerous more widely.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, I know we're sort of focusing on the, the gay and lesbian parenting part of it, but there's as you, but there's also ramifications, of course, for the children. As so part of that um, family, of how they uh, how they get dealt with as well as they're going through their own lives.
1: Absolutely, and I think I think history has the potential to be healing on some level. Right. As I as I mentioned earlier, like as I was growing up, I would have loved to know that there were predecessors. Yes. That that there were people who had previously experienced similar things right. to what I was going through, right. and So being able to place yourself in history, I think has a real emotional impact.
0: Right. Do do you think down the track though, I mean, once you've finished this one, and this is gonna take you a while to get through, (laughs) but then you could go to the next level, like from 2005 to say now, because we know things are changing in in politics every Mm -hmm. single day, and sometimes we don't know which way they're gonna be going, but there's always these debates. You think things have been sorted out, and then the next group of politicians come through and they open up the open it up again and get people thinking again and so the debate continues rather than us keeping rather than us moving forward we've made the decision let's keep mm-hmm. moving forward for a better society et cetera. so do you think down the track it's going to be important to say then look also from 2005 to whatever date next because there has still, still been a lot of challenges from mm-hmm. two thousand and five to now. And yeah, I'm sure, sure there's I'm sure it's not gonna stop. But like you said, can we not learn from history of what it's not only making it easier or making it better for the what is a family, but the individuals within the family?
1: Interestingly I think my next project after this when I finish this will be looking at earlier than the 1970s. Oh, is that right? I want okay. to push the history back okay. because there there is a misconception that that queer families are a very recent thing. Well, That's good
0: point actually. Yes. That, they were always there, they're just hidden.
1: Yes, exactly. So I I would like to to take the opportunity to to push this history even further back. There absolutely is so much interesting research that you could do on more on 2005 onwards on more recent times right i do think that there are people that are that They're are doing, doing that research oh, okay yeah okay. and those debates will absolutely continue and are very important that we have high quality research
0: informing them mm-hmm.
1: but i i don't know of any canadian scholars that are that are looking at earlier time periods
0: that would be interesting because, I mean, even back home, just the word being uh, a homosexual, it, it wasn't until about 20 years ago where it, it was it went away from being a criminal activity. Right. So for starters, particularly yeah. for the men, of course, more for the men than the women, because that was an old law left over from Queen Victoria times type mm-hmm. thing. So it would be interesting for you going a little bit further back. Do you think, like, early 1900s or... It becomes really complicated looking further back, not only in terms
1: of vocabulary, you know, the the vocabulary about how we identify has changed so significantly, but also in terms of sources. The further back you go, the harder it is to actually find find sources, especially if someone who engaged in same-sex behavior or or had same-sex desires was a parent, because if you were arrested, for example, yes. as a man for having sex with right. another man, you could absolutely lose your children. Right. There there are cases of men committing suicide after being arrested, and right. in their obituary there's a, one throwaway line about how um, they had a wife and kids, for example.
0: Right.
1: So if you're living in a society where it's illegal and completely socially unacceptable, mm-hmm. Because at to, one stage
0: it was always thought as an illness too, right? Exactly,
1: exactly. So it was yeah, in those,
0: those psychology books of being an illness.
1: Yeah, you're not you're not going to be open mm-hmm. about your sexuality, especially if that is threatening to right. to your identity as a parent and your ability to be a parent. Right. And so those sources, it it becomes a lot of digging to to try to find to try to piece together people's lives and bring together that identity of having same-sex desires with the fact that they were a parent and and what can that tell us right so the the sources are much more plentiful for after the 1970s right
0: 1969
1: is when homosexuality was partially decriminalized in Canada okay yeah so that's part of the reason that in the nineteen seventies, you actually have more sources that, okay. that tell this history. Okay,
0: because I remember even when I was still living in Australia, I was thought, "Oh God, Canada's so forward-thinking, th- mm-hmm. which was fantastic." And it's like anywhere, right? I mean, we can be forward-thinking, but they still have issues <laughs> where you still got to try and sort a few things out. So I'm glad you're actually bringing this to everyone's attention because it's not an easy topic sometimes for people to talk about
1: Mm -hmm. for whatever
0: reason but it needs to be talked about if if we're moving forward wanting to make a really inclusive society is what I which is what I believe Canada wants to have an inclusive society Mm -hmm. yeah I'll take my hat off to you for doing that thank you a lot of work to do a lot of work to do but I'm glad you got the, the research background to be able to find that, you know, those lo- those legal documents. But I, I guess I can ask one more question before we finish. A lot of it you said is, is looking at what's happened in the legal system. Are there any other areas where you're finding information to help you? So like news stories or anything like that?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the media, media clippings are a big part of this. Okay. Um, often in reaction, to le- legal cases, okay, right. or in reaction to the parliamentary debates for example, um, on spousal benefits, on eventually on same-sex marriage. Um, so I would say there there's the, the legal, there's the media, there's uh, the political, because I do look at the the political realm and, and what Parliament is actually legislating. Okay. And then I I will be doing oral histories, so there's also the Great. individual experiential aspect
0: of this. And when you're doing that um, oral interviews, are you going to talk to both the parent and the child or just the parent? I guess it's hard to do the child because you have to get all those permissions. <laughs> and, <thing>. and ethics <laughs> approval would be really true. <laughs> it's hard enough to get it for, for you know adults let alone kids isn't it <laughs> yeah luckily because
1: i am looking at history i can i can interview the adult children
0: Oh, good point. Yeah. Yes, good point. Yeah. Good point.
1: So, once they're no longer minor children, <laughs>
0: the, the ethics are a little bit easier.
1: But yes, I am planning on on interviewing both
0: the parents and adult children. And I guess with the period that you've got, they would be most of them would be getting into adult status anyway, mm-hmm. the, the children that is. So, I guess that makes things yeah. a little yeah. easier. <laughs> but I think I think it's important to get the child's perspective on on how they felt about whether it's the split, whether whether they had a, like yourself, grew up and started growing up in a heterosexual family and then it got split into one heterosexual, still the other one gay, it's important to find out how it affected you and likewise those that got brought up in just a gay family
1: Mm -hmm, um, and how
0: they got brought up, particularly the way the education system is also changing, Um, you know, how they fitted into school and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lots, lots to do, but I'm fascinated by it and good luck with it all. I think it's going to be really, really important for everyone and particularly for Canadian society moving forward. So well done for thinking about this topic. Thank you. Okay, everyone, as you know, that's the end. We, we you know another, another chapter of Grad Chat has finished and, and unfortunately we do have to stop because um, we only get half an hour. So there we go. This is uh, CJ the DJ signing off. With a big hooray.
1: This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.